Thank you for tuning into this sermon from New Life Student Ministries. Our goal is to inspire, equip, and support our students and families with biblically rich and God-centered teaching. These messages are meant to be supplemental and not substitutional for our weekly gathering. We hope this sermon is a blessing to you and your spiritual walk. If you got your Bible, open up to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. We're in a series on God is love. Everyone say, God is love. Yes, God is love. Love is not God, but God is love. Tonight we are going to talk about one of the most difficult things to do ever, and that is to love one another. Look at your neighbor and say, I love you. With your girlfriend, that's awkward. That's awkward. All right, hey, First John chapter 3, starting in verse 11. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow me in your Bible. If you don't, look on the screen. This is what it says. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Everyone say love one another. We should not be like Cain who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know, love, that he, he being Jesus, laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk but in deed and in truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord to which all God's people said. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, I pray that you would show us, in fact, what it means to love one another tonight. Those who don't look like us, think like us, act like us, live like us, operate like us, sound like us, talk like us. Show us what it means to love one another in the same way that you have so graciously, so abundantly, so humbly done for us. Holy Spirit, would you show us yourself this evening? Would you come and would you captivate us in your word? Would you give us eyes to see, ears to hear, minds to understand, and hearts to believe? And if you're with me, can you say amen? Amen. 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 The Apostle John is reminding his listeners here of something that he already wrote in his gospel. And the summary is very simple. He said, look, you know this from the beginning. Love one another. Everyone say love one another. And then he gives us an illustration of what not to be like. He talks about Cain. Cain, we see this as, as kind of the first murder in Scripture 
where you have Cain, the older son, and Abel, the younger brother, and they both bring an offering to the Lord. And the Lord loves the younger brother Abel's offering so much more because it was his first and it was his best. And out of jealousy in Cain's heart, he takes his younger brother out into a field and he murders him. And John's going, don't act like this. Don't be like this, brothers. He uses this language over and over and over again in this chapter. And there's a reason for that. We've talked about it for three weeks now. He's talking to believers. He's saying, look, the church, the kingdom of God, those who say they are followers of Christ, your relationship should be characterized by love for one another. He's echoing a message he's already said. If we go back to John chapter 13, this is what he says to his followers in John chapter 13. A new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Listen here. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. What John's getting after here is the greatest apologetic or the greatest defense for the Christian faith. Someone wants to know, is God real? Someone wants to know, did Jesus actually die for them? Someone wants to know, do they have a God in heaven who actually cares for their life? The greatest defense, the greatest act in your life that you could show another that you are a follower of Jesus is to love one another. Love one another. It's not how much you know scripture, not how much you come to church, not how much you pray, not how much your theology is correct, people will know you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, that you're a follower of Yahweh by one thing. Do you love one another? Is your relationships characterized by love? He gives the message again in John 15 when he's talking about the vine and the branches. John says this, as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. I want you to pay attention to this word, abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and your joy may be full. Here we go again. This is my commandment that you what? Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. What is plain and simple from this passage is that if we are going to be followers of Jesus, if we say we're going to follow Jesus, if we do follow Jesus, if we are going to, in fact, have relationship with God and genuine relationship with others, we have to learn to do this one simple yet difficult word, abide. Abide. John has an interesting relationship with this word abide. And throughout his gospel, he doesn't use it once, he doesn't use it five times, he doesn't use it 10 times, he doesn't use it 20, not 30. He uses it roughly 63 times. The Greek word is meno. Meno. And it has a robust 
definition, this word meno that he uses for abide. It means this, to dwell, to remain, to stay, to submit to, to act in accord with, to be faithful to, to continue to be present with, to not depart from. Can I ask you a question? Does that sound like your relationship with Jesus? Is it one that you submit to, that you remain with, that you stay with, that you continue to walk with, that you're faithful to, that you you don't depart from? Is that what it sounds like? Is that, is that a great way to describe your relationship with God? Is it a great way to describe your relationship with others? And what John's saying here is he's like, look, you can't actually, you cannot actually learn to love the person sitting next to you until you have first learned that God loves you. Are you with me? You cannot learn to actually love the person sitting next to you until you first learn that God loves you. You see, abiding leads to a form of attaching. And attaching helps our relationships be characterized by love. In other words, we cannot give away what we do not have. You with me? If God is love and you do not have God, you have no love to give. If God is love and you do not have God, then you have no love to give. You cannot love one another until you first know and receive that you have been loved by God. It leads to a form of attaching. Do I have any tea drinkers in here? Any tea drinkers in here? I'm not talking sweet tea, though I do love that too. Like hot tea. Hot tea. Ooh, man. I like me some mint medley, okay? Now here's the thing, I don't drink coffee, coffee's for, for weird people like worship leaders and Pastor Victor and those people. I drink, I drink tea. Now here's the thing, there are two types of tea drinkers, okay? There are those who like to hold their cup with their hot water and their tea bag like they're from England and they like to dip. Do I have any dippers in here? You like can't sit still enough, so you sit there like you are oh higher than thou, and you just dip. And you look at people like, yeah, I drink tea. Yeah, there, there are people like this where it's like you like your warm bre- beverage way too much. Way too much. Then there's another type of people in the world. I call them my dwellers, and they just let that sucker steep for days. You're the type of person who you put that tea in your Yeti, you seal that sucker up, and you don't touch it the rest of the day. And by the end of the day, you come to drink that tea, and you're like, ugh, this is strong. And this is the thing you always hear from, from, from dippers. They say, I don't like my tea bag to dwell because it makes the drink too strong. Brothers and sisters, Do you like to be in relationship kind of here and there with God? Or do you like to dwell with God? Because here's the thing. The more you dwell 
or as John would say, the more you abide. The only product of abiding is growing stronger. Are you with me? Are you with me? If we are going to learn to love one another, we must first learn to abide. We must first learn to abide. Now what happens when we abide? Therein lies the question. When we abide with the Father, and the Father's love abides in us, and we operate the same way that Jesus operated with us, what happens? We learn to love one another. Notice how John doesn't say, this new commandment I give to you to tolerate one another. Wouldn't Christianity be so different if he said that? Like, let our, our relationships be characterized by tolerating one another. By, I just live to see you leave. Imagine if marriage was that way. My wife woke up in the morning and says, good morning, goodbye. <laughs> that would be a weird relationship. You know, the thing is, we actually see those relationships all the time, don't we? We have a lot of them. Like, my goodness, I don't want to see her face today. In John 13, Jesus does something pretty significant. In John 13, he's at a meal with his disciples, and it says that Jesus got up from the table. He took his garments off, and he put a towel around his waist. And he got a basin, and he filled it with water. And with all 12 of his disciples there, one that he knows is about to betray him, who's already made a decision in his heart that he's going to betray him, another whom he knows is about to deny him Three times. Three times. And the rest of them, he knows, are about to scatter the second he's confronted by Pontius Pilate in the Roman Empire. And in light of knowing all of that, he gets down with a basin, with some water, and he assumes the position of a slave. The king of kings the Lord of lords, the one who fearfully and wonderfully made them in their mother's womb gets down on his feet and hands, hands and knees and he washes their feet. Position of a slave. On June 20th, 2015, I had the privilege of doing something similar with my bride. On our wedding day, we gave each other our vows and I did not look at my wife on that day and say, I vow to tolerate you. If I did, that would be weird. I said, I vow to love you. In sickness and in health. For better or for worse. And after we took communion with one another, I had my bride sit down. Oop, that's awkward. I had my bride sit down and I washed her feet. And here's the thing, that act on our wedding day was really cute for pictures. Like, in fact, you want to know why it was the most memorable moment of my wedding day? 
It was the only time in our wedding that my wife cried. I, on the other hand, was sobbing 30 minutes before she started walking down the aisle and did not cease to sob until we walked out the doors. And if you know me, I'm, I'm, I'm almost legally blind. All of you are a blur right now. I forgot my glasses tonight. I'm standing on the altar, weeping like a child, and the doors open at the back of the church, and she starts walking down with her dad, and I can't, I can't see her. I don't even know what she looks like. All I know is there's this blur of white walking down the aisle. I'm like, I hope that's her. I hope I'm at the right wedding. She gets down there, and I'm expecting, and if you know my wife, she's, she's, she's a sensitive human being. She'll like, she'll, I mean, she'll cry at Disney movies. I mean, I do too, but she'll cry. And, and I'm, I'm weeping. She, makes it, she finally makes it to where I can see her, like five feet away. And she's just smiling. I'm like, where are your tears? I'm like, is the Holy Spirit even present here? I'm like weeping my eyes as she's coming out. She's all fine. We start the ceremony. We're going through our vows with one another. She's just happy. I can't get myself together. I look disgusting. Our wedding photos, I won't even watch my wedding video. It's so pathetic. She, but, but we get this moment where she sits down in the chair. I get down on my hands and knees. And I have her feet right here and I start washing and I start seeing her feet shake like that. I'm like, babe, why are your feet twitching? It's kind of weird. And by the time I'm on the second foot, I look up, and she's crying. And all I wanted to say, but I was mic'd up, is it's about dang time. <laughs> it's about time. But here's the thing, like, like a moment like that, it's real beautiful for pictures. But there comes a moment, many moments, a thousand moments in every marriage where the last thing I want to do is assume the posture of a servant to my wife. It's, it's not beautiful. Day to day, having to sacrificially love somebody. You know, it's a lot easier to love somebody when you like them. Hopefully you marry someone you like. <laughs> but I give you a newsflash. That way you're not caught off guard two days into your marriage. I believe with all my heart, I have loved, <laughs> thank you, Victor. <laughs> I believe, I believe with all my heart, I have loved my wife every day for over the five and a half years that we've been married. I do. And I believe with all my heart that I have not liked my wife <laughs> for the five and a half years that we've been married. You know why? Because I'm sinful and so is she. And marriage is not about us being perfect for one another and satisfying one another all the time. If it was, we would be a Disney movie. But marriage is about taking a covenant, a promise with somebody that in light of knowing they are going to be one of the most imperfect people you will ever be with in your life, you're going to choose to love them no matter what. You're going to choose to love them no matter what. That's why God gave us this relationship. That's why God gives us every relationship. Is to learn what does it mean for us to day by day get down on our hands and knees and wash the feet of our brothers and sisters. Can you imagine if on inauguration day, 
for presidency. We had like Donald Trump get down with Biden sitting right here. And he washed his feet. Could you imagine? Can you imagine what that would look like? Make them both wear their masks and some gloves. Can I ask you a question? How is your relationships with the people that you hate characterized by love? We laugh at it because we see it as impossible. And yet what Jesus says is if you want the world to know that you follow me, that's the type of people that you'll be. You're a publican. Show the world what it looks like to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of a Democrat. If you're a Democrat, show the world what it means to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of a Republican. If you're white, show the world what it means to get down on your hands and knees and wash the feet of a black, Latino, Asian, gay, straight, trans, fill in the blank. Is this what characterizes your relationship? Because hear me, if it doesn't, then the world does not know that you follow Jesus. The world does not know that you follow Jesus. And so in an act of saying, hey, the kingdom of God looks like this, I want to suggest to you tonight that Jesus says, look, to love one another means to be present with people. I'm going to give you three ways tonight, but there's so much more. Three ways. Now, here's the thing. I want to talk about what it means to be present with somebody. To be present with someone must mean that you are absent everywhere else. You with me? To be present with someone means you are to be absent everywhere else. I could give you 18,000 scenarios where I came home from work. And I asked my wife how her day was. And she's the second sentence into telling me about her day. And I'm on my phone. Responding to the boys. Ready to play football. <laughs> Ready to shred some pow-pow. Hey. Right? And I look up. And she has the sweetest look. If she says the two sweetest, most painful words, excuse me. She's like, you just asked how my day was, and then you just hopped on your phone. To be present with her is to be absent everywhere else. Are you with me? Three ways that I think Jesus teaches us to be present with people so that our relationships are characterized by love. Number one, present amidst loneliness. Loneliness. I think this is pretty ironic that we live in a day and age where you are more connected to the world than any generation that has gone before you, and yet, statistically speaking, you are the most isolated. You know, you can know within a matter of minutes, if not seconds, what just took place on the other side of the planet. You can call 
a family member in seconds that lives on the other side of the planet, eight time zones away, and yet we have one of the highest suicide rates of all time in history. Henry Nouwen, scholar, philosopher, he wrote a lot on the Desert Fathers. He said that loneliness is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life. It is the greatest enemy to the spiritual life. I need you to hear me. This is why you can't just simply do online church. Can't. The act of actually gathering together is like a necessary reality for the kingdom of God. Are you with me? We can't do life alone. Why? Because we weren't created to do life alone. I'll say it one more time because it sounded really good. We can't do life alone. Why? Because we weren't created to do life alone. I'm willing to bet more than half of this room feels extremely lonely. And that's ironic because we're in a room of 300 people right now. Present amidst loneliness. Can I teach you what it, what it means to help step out of loneliness? It's uncomfortable. It means that you got to come to church. It means that you got to be proactive to reach out to your brothers, to your sisters in Christ. It means you got to be proactive to talk with your family. It means that you got to come and engage with small groups if you want actually some quality relationships in your life. It means that you're going to have to get off your rear and hear me, get off your phone. Present amidst loneliness. Do your friends... If I were to pull your friends up here and ask them, how do you engage with them as a human being? Would they tell me you are someone who gives them 100% of your undivided attention? This isn't condemning. This is teaching. How do we do this better? Your generation, you guys are wrestling. You guys have had to go to high school and junior high through a global pandemic, you have had to live through a stay-at-home order, a safer-at-home order, a red, blue, green, orange, white, I don't know, whatever the things are anymore. You've had to do that. And you know the people who thrived 11 months ago when things shut down? Not the people who sat down and watched online stuff for three months straight. They're the people who proactively engaged with other human beings. Why? Because we were created to love one another. Are you with me? Be present amidst loneliness. This is how we love one another. Number two, present amidst rebellion. This is going to be a hard one to say, but I'm going to say it. Many of your friends in here, many of your friends out of here who call themselves followers of Jesus... Or you yourself, who calls yourself a follower of Jesus, is on a path to destruction with their life right now. And you can see it. You can maybe see it in yourself. You can see it in your friends. You're watching your friend make decisions that's going to ruin their life. And you want to know the measure of a good friend is if you say something. 
measure of a good friend is if you say something. Galatians 6.1, the Apostle Paul, he says it like this to us. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression or sin, you who are spiritual or you who are followers of Jesus should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. But keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. I've waited four weeks to share this story and I finally can. I had the privilege of taking, he's already giggling. I had the privilege of taking my buddy, Pastor Victor, snowboarding for the first time four weeks ago. I wish I had a photo. I, in honor of him, I didn't take a photo or a video while he was learning. It was his first day on the slopes. He did okay, okay? But there's this moment where it's like, okay, it's his first time up. If you've ever gone snowboarding before, you know. This is a day you're going to spend 90% of the day on your rear end. More accurately, falling on your rear end. Falling on your rear end. So I start him at Keystone at the very top on the magic carpet run. That's what I called it as a kid. You get on this little black belt and it zzzz you up like 25 yards. You come back down and you repeat the cycle. We do about 10 rounds of him coming down, going down the, the, this black magic. I'm not so proud of him. He's rocking it. He's like, he's clicking. He's getting his heel edge down. He's making it down without falling too much. And so I say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to move to the bunny hill. Move to the bunny hill. Now, Keystone, it's ironic the way they set this up. You go to the top, and Keystone's got a bunny hill at the top. However, if you know how this bunny hill works, it goes, and then you, you, you can stop, go to the right, and hop on the bunny lift. Or they can keep going, and it turns into a black diamond. <laughs> you see where this story is going, do you? Yeah. So I get him on this bunny hill, and, you know, if you're a good friend, it's like you're going to unsnap, you're going to put your board off, and you're going to, like, walk down with your miserable friend who has no idea what they're doing, which is exactly what I was doing. I'm walking him down. I'm like, all right, come on, stay on your edge, keep your balance, okay, watch your legs, that sort of thing, keep your toes out of the ground. You don't want your face to smack the ground. That'll hurt really bad. It'll be funny. I'll laugh, but it'll hurt, okay? And so we get to this point where I've, I've hiked down with him. And I've kind of let him go, and I just assume he sees very plainly the bunny lift right there. So he's going, I turn around to hike back up to my board. I make it to my board, and I turn around, I'm looking for Victor. <laughs> and I'm looking all down towards the lift, I can't see him. And I look down straight and I see beyond the line, this little struggling, wailing. <laughs> and in this moment, I had a decision to make. I'm thinking 1 John 3. Do I want to be like a brother, Cain, who slays his brother Abel? Or do I want to love one another? So I start with doing the right thing. I start shouting. I'm screaming, Victor! Vector! He's heading down the mountain. So I am, oh, I'm hustling as fast as I can. Because there's a period where you go beyond the sign and it drifts, it drifts, it drifts, it drops. And it's probably about 300 yards until the drop. 
So I'm hustling, I'm putting my board in, and for a split moment, I stand up and I go, should I just let him learn by experience? <laughs> and let him, let him just fall down the mountain. And I will tell you what the deciding factor was for me to hustle down my friend as I sat and I go, I would laugh for about 20 minutes, maybe a couple hours, until I had to face Prem Mendoza. <laughs> and it was the fear of Prem Mendoza that made me straight line my rear end to my buddy and keep him from death. So I make it to him. He's probably about 100 yards away from dropping. I catch him and I say, bud, <laughs> it would be funny, but you can't do this. You can't do this. And he goes, oh, what do you mean? What do you mean? I was a brother. The lift is 300 yards back that way. And he, he's like, oh, oh. And I was like, as funny as it would be for me to see you go down, we got to unbuckle and we got to walk up. <sighs> you ever been at 9,000 feet hiking up 3,000 yards, 300 yards? I mean, it was in this moment that I could confidently say, I love you. I love you. And we hiked. Present amidst rebellion. Hear me. It's a hard thing to tell your brother or sister that what they're doing is on a path to destruction. It's hard. You know why? Because you might lose the relationship over it. And hear me. I have. I've lost many relationships over it. You might get the oh so infamous, you're just a judgmental friend by calling me out. Who are you to tell me? You'll get that. You'll get them completely cutting it off. Or your relationship will grow a thousand times deeper than it already is. We are lonely for two reasons. We refuse to be confronted and we refuse to confront other people. We don't like conflict. This is why it's easier to watch from a distance. And I need you to hear me. That's not how followers of Jesus, their relationships are characterized. I'm, I'm, I'm your youth pastor. I'm supposed to have life together. And there are several men in this room that I meet with, sometimes weekly, almost monthly, to ask them, hey, how am I doing as a friend? What do you observe in my life? What areas of my life need confronting? And I do the same thing for them. Why? Because that's what it means to love one another. And if you're going to sit here and tell me I don't have any relationships like that, small groups, Tuesday afternoons at 4 o'clock for high schoolers, Sunday at 11 o'clock for junior high, that's the place to start forming them. That's the place to start getting after them. Present amidst rebellion. We refuse to let ourselves or let our brothers and sisters drift. Are you with me? Final point, and I want the band to come up, is present amidst difficulty. To love one another is to be present amidst 
difficulty. How many of you have seen the movie Inside Out? I love Pixar. There's this, uh, this, I I get mom Aussie, I'm I'm trolling my wife for crying for Disney movies. Seven weeks ago, eight weeks ago, we're, we're at home, we're getting ready for bed. It's like 10.30 at night. And usually this is how it works. My wife is tired. She can fall asleep in two minutes. I'm wide awake. And I sit wide awake for like two hours. And so we're sitting in bed. I was like, you know what? Hey, let's, let's, let's like watch it. Let's put on a Pixar movie. We can fall asleep to it. She's like, okay. We turn on Inside Out. Five minutes in, she's out. She's out. I'm sitting here at like one in the morning. <laughs> weeping. Like weeping, like, like, like just like, like a wipe in my face. I'm like, my, my shirt is drenched in tears. My wife is like, and, and, and Riley's sitting there like in front of her parents. And like you got sadness just kind of, that was good timing, Salem. <laughs> right? And I tell you what, if, you, if you're paying attention, guys, sometimes, not all the time. Man, Pixar's preaching the gospel. You got this moment before that where you got sadness sitting with bing bong, you know. That feels weird. I've never said bing bong in a sermon before. You got, he's crying, right? You know the story. He's, he's in pain. And what, what does sadness do? She doesn't come and she doesn't offer him a solution. She doesn't come and she doesn't try to redirect his attention. She doesn't ignore him. She comes and she's sad with him. She's sad with him. You want to learn how to love someone well? I'll tell you the first thing that you can start practicing immediately and almost instantaneously, all your relationships are going to start going deeper. You want to know what you can do to love someone well? Learn to listen. Learn to listen. Don't try to fix them. Don't try to change them. Don't try to adjust their political view. Don't try to adjust their view of God. Don't try to tell them what they could do better. Don't try to simply be numb and ignore them. Don't start drowning out their ear with your story and how you can relate and how you can understand. Just listen. Listen. Say, man, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. That makes me angry too. What you're going through, I couldn't even relate. I'm so sorry. Learn to be present when people are going through difficult situations. Learn to listen. And as Paul says in Galatians 6, learn to bear burdens with them. Walk with them. Don't take responsibility for their pain. It's not your place to. Walk with them. Your friend comes and tell you that they're depressed, 
thinking about taking their life, walk with them. Say, I'll go with you to a counselor. I'll go with you to your parents. I'll go with you to get help. But let's get help. Let me walk with you. Learn to listen. Why is it that Jesus would call us to be present amidst loneliness? Why is it that Jesus would call his church to be present amidst brothers and sisters rebelling? Why is it that Jesus would call us to be present in difficult situations? Let me tell you why. Because he did it first. Can you stand with me? He did it first. I want to challenge you in two ways tonight. Before you start thinking, okay, how can I be a better friend by being present in their loneliness and being present in their rebellion and being present in their difficulty, I want to remind you that John premises all this, that look, hey, you can't do it unless you first learn to abide, to remain, to stay faithful, to be with, to not depart from. And so I want to invite you this evening, Drew, can we bring just the house lights down? take a moment and I'm not asking you to do anything I want you to simply just maybe open your hands if you feel comfortable with it I say open your hands because this is this is a a, um, a symbolic way of, of realizing that you're receiving something you're not doing anything you're receiving something I just want to invite you to simply receive the love that God has for you. He sees you in your loneliness. And so he came running in the person of Jesus Christ. He saw you in the midst of your rebellion and said, hey, let me show you a better way. A better way that leads to eternal life. He saw you in the difficult circumstances that you're walking through right now parents are getting divorced, your friendships are in chaos, you're wrestling with addiction. He sees you in your brokenness. And hear me, he's come to be with you. And sometimes we just need to receive that he's actually a God who wants to come be with us before we can look at our own lives. A.W. Tozer says, what a man thinks about God is the most important thing about that man and there's a degree of truth to that yes but hear me what is so much more important is not what a man thinks about God but what God thinks about us and hear me because of the work of Jesus Christ if you put your faith in him he delights in you and you need to simply receive that first and so as we head back into worship here, I just want you to practice a minute, if that, if not two, three, of abiding. Let's just, let's just abide. Let's remain. Let's stay. Let's, be, let's, let's not depart from. Let's just simply receive what he's got for us. And then as you receive that, you can begin to ask yourself the question, Lord, 
what areas of my life and what relationships of my life are relationships not characterized by loving one another. And all we got to do is simply say this, Lord, teach us to do better. Teach us to do better. Show us the way in the person of Jesus Christ. So Father, we welcome Would you teach us what it means as we respond and worship here and what it looks like to abide, to remain, to stay in your love. And then would you show us, Father, what it looks like to love one another. Thanks again for listening to this message from New Life Student Ministries. If you want to keep up with what's happening with us, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at NL Student Ministries.